Sometimes I just get excited. I know, I know, and I want you to curb your enthusiasm. That's a nice. That's a nice reference. Nice to shout what? out. <laughs> <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. I don't read those anymore. That's well. It's probably for the best. You won't see when they slander our podcast. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, let's just, uh, let's just start. Okay. Hello, and welcome to So Many Dumb Books. I am Christopher. I am Drew. And this is the 48th episode of our storied show. Yeah, we know how, you know how we like to uh, memorialize big events. So here we are, number 48, we made it, we did it. Finally divisible by eight. (laughs) My biggest dream. We have, we have, uh, oh man, I hate to break it to you. What? We have done that before. <laughs> I don't understand how numbers work. <laughs> Look, I'm a reader. You're a book guy. I'm a book You're guy. You're a book guy. I'm I not understand. a mathematician. <laughs> uh, You're also a damn fine mixologist. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Why don't I, why don't I tell everyone else what we have in our hands here? Yeah, indeed, go for it. This is basically a, a fire whiskey julep. Um, so I made my own uh, jalapeno simple syrup, um, mixing that with the finest Evan Williams bourbon whiskey, mm. and uh, and fresh mint. Yeah, and it's a beautiful cocktail. It's a little spicy, but not too much of a burn. It's just like it's just a nice on like the back of your throat, just a little. Yeah, but uh, why don't we tell the people? Why don't we tell the good people why uh, why it's a fire whiskey julep? What are we doing today, Drew? We're we're doing something very special for this momentous episode uh, anniversary occasion. Yes, we are. We're talking about a book that only one of us has read. That's right. Only one of us read this book. The other person refuses. But we'll let we, you guess who those people are. Yeah. While we, we uh, talk about what you buy. So I was recently out in California for two weeks. Ah, yes, the Golden State. And I visited several bookstores in uh, San Diego, Los Angeles. San Francisco? San Francisco, Carmel by the Sea. Oh, cool. Uh, picked up a handful of things in um, all of all of those various places, or at least Danny or I did. I'm not going to tell you about all of them. I picked at uh, Skylight Books in Los Angeles. I got Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion, mm, sure. um, which then I read leaving Los Angeles and felt very depressed, but also very happy to be leaving Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at Green Apple, the new one, Green Apple on the Park in San Francisco. In San Francisco, yeah. Uh, I picked up Rebecca Schiff's "The Bed Moved." Oh yeah, that's the, doesn't it have, say "The Bed" a few times? I don't know. The title is all. Like yeah, all you look it. at the cover and you kind of can't. There's like a couple of extra letters, and yeah. it sort of takes a minute. Um, that's like a bunch of stories because it turns out it's mostly flash fiction. Cool. Yeah. How about you? I read, I mean, I bought, um, and I read it. I bought it and I read it. Oh, okay. 
Jay Bradley's Jesus Christ Boy Detective. <laughs> um, and this is one of those books that I saw the title of and the and the cover, and I had to own it. Um, it's by this. It's this tiny, tiny, tiny little press, Pelicanesis Press. Ooh. And uh, the story is literally about a boy named Timmy Hightower, who is a who's the boy detective, and Jesus Christ uh, is sent by his father. Uh, to help him solve a mystery. So he takes over Timmy Hightower's body and can access all of the boy detective's memories um, in solving this very supernatural case. Really weird stuff. Um, I also picked up uh, Deborah Shapiro's Sun in Your Eyes, which seems half campus novel, half road trip. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds good I, to me. I know you like those things. I love those things. Um, and finally, one last thing that I pick, mm, picked up, mm-hmm. um, which I can't pass up anything that is compared to Revolutionary Road, uh, Carousel Court by Joe McGinnis Jr., which is like the modern Revolutionary Road, apparently, about Ooh. like a marriage imploding during the hou- like the housing crisis. Man, Revolutionary Road. What a book. What a book. Listen, listen, the people want to know. It's enough dilly-dallying. What is the deal? What is the big mystery? What's the surprise? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're talking about Harry Harry Potter Potter and the the Cursed Cursed Child. Child. Parts one and two. Based on an original news story by J.K. Rowling, John Tiffany, and Jack Thorne, a new play by Jack Thorne, special rehearsal edition script. Yeah, we're we're here to we're here to talk about we're here to talk about the eighth the, story. Yeah, yeah. Sanctioned. Yeah. Official. Yeah. Uh, you haven't read it. I have not. And I have. Yeah. Going forward, from this point forth. We will not be hashtag keep the secrets in. No, we we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Yeah, we're gonna talk about some stuff. Uh, so if you are in, if you haven't read the play yet, yeah. if you're waiting until you if see you're it, like me, if you're waiting until you see it on stage, or if you're waiting until you can read it yourself and you haven't yet, I understand. We'll see you next week. Why don't we Why don't we make this slightly civil? Uh, let's start civil because I'm probably going <laughs> to kill you by the end of it. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll let you have the opening statement. You did not read this. Oh, thank you, counselor. Yes. Why? My dear, my dear idiot colleague. <laughs> <laughs> to the distinguished idiot from California. <laughs> Sir. Um, I kind of actually have several reasons. Okay. The, the biggest, the, the simplest one is that when Deathly Hallows was done, mm-hmm. she was doing the press. She was like, this is it. I wrote that epilogue, that epilogue that so many people hate that I frankly really love. Uh, We're going to have to that. And she was like, that this is, this is the end. Okay. And there was a sense, I found myself really pleased, honestly, with the idea that Harry's story was wrapped up. There was always still the possibility of future stories in this world for people to go out and tell, but that idea that 
okay, Harry's a dad and he's got it and they're all doing their thing. And if there are any adventures, like it's going to be, it's either going to be like a dark gritty story about chasing down like somebody who broke out of Azkaban or it's going to be the kids or something like that. It's not going to be like another Harry Potter story. Okay. Uh, so when this was announced, I immediately, I, you just, felt you felt like she went back on her word. Yeah, and then for for and and were you worried about the result? Is that part of it? Um, or were you just like just sort of like uh, you're betraying me, Joe? I think if if this had come out of nowhere, if there hadn't been Pottermore and her Twitter presence and this sort of sense that she has been unable to extricate herself. Okay. Um. And uh, let me make very clear, I do not begrudge any author to tell whatever stories they want to tell, whether in their worlds or somebody else's world or coming back after 20, like whatever. Sure. But uh, you don't uh, have to read it. Exactly. <laughs> and th- But there was something about just the way that she was sort of casually do it that didn't, it didn't feel like the same storytelling. It felt sort of, it felt more like fan service. you're right and it is just to appease fans uh would that be so bad no i think the thing there becomes um and i i don't think i'm alone in thinking this that you can as a fan you can then choose whether or not you want to engage with it sure so okay, uh, this is this is a, a and now wonderful segue indeed uh, to the uh, distinguished buffoon from California. Uh, yes, that's me. Uh, you were very excited from word go. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, as I think is true for you as well. I'm a insane Harry Potter fan. Yeah, I uh, mean, there's there's nothing else. There's nothing else like it. There are there's new Harry Potter. And it's definitely weird. It's a play. But that got me excited too because I believe that she wouldn't... There's no reason because I, I believe this to be true. She doesn't need to make any more money ever. No. She would, doesn't have to write another word of Harry Potter. Anything. She doesn't need to write another word and she's rich for the rest of her life. Yes. So to get her to sit down and write, admit it, I know she didn't write this completely. Um, but to, to, it must be pretty good. There must be a reason why she wants to return to the material. There must be a reason why she wanted to go back on what she was saying. There must be something that was, she was excited about. And if she's excited about it, I've been excited about everything that she's put out. You know, I'm, I'm going to be excited about that too. Right. And, you know, as well as I am one of the people who wasn't totally sold on the all was well ending of Harry Potter. When she wrote All Was Well, I was I remember th- putting it down and thinking that was a great ending to the book, and I, I thought it was an incredible end to the series. But I definitely, when I looked back after the, the afterglow faded, when I read that epilogue, I'm sort of, I don't believe her that All Was Well. I feel like there's, there's there, I felt like that All Was Well was like a papered over 
of of something that was much more insidious and, and scary because like th- things can't be all well for the three of them for the for the main trio and so i was curious when i heard that it was going to be about them and their kids and it was about you know uh harry potter's son and that's actually all i knew going mm-hmm. into the play i didn't read anybody's spoilers i read no nothing and i was very very adamant about that because i could tell that like the internet reading public who i believe the people who have inherited the mass internet the one that we read the most yeah those are harry potter fans yes for sure so i believe that 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 when that all of that came out i was just like this is this is i need to make my own opinion away from this yeah i would see the stage production sure and the things that I have heard about the stage production, um, and this it becomes very complicated because my day job is in theater. I've heard that the stage production, as a as a piece of theater, is perhaps the most incredible thing that has ever been put to stage. Sure. Which it damn well better be. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I that's got to be part. I mean, that's got to be reason number one that um, Rowling said yes. Yeah, I think there's something that the movies will never be able to do and that frankly the books will never be able to do. I mean, the magic of theater is that you walk into a space and are transported somewhere else where magic can actually, and the idea that you could see the magic in reality, even your, it's the, it's the Tony Kushner thing where in the, the uh, foreword of angels in America, the script he has a little note where he's like, it doesn't matter if the wires show so long as it feels magical. Mm-hmm. And I have seen productions of Angels in America where you see the harness for the angel and you're still just chills and like... <gasps> there is an interesting um, critique of the play as far as staging is concerned that like... Um, I've read this in a couple places that it would be very difficult for anybody to put this on. That's not yeah. J.K. Rowling's I mean, I'm, people. I have no doubt that it will be coming to New York. Probably, my guess, my like slightly educated guess, is that it will show up fall 2017. Mm. That's exciting. And I'll want to be there. But I agree that it's crazy some of the stuff they have to do on stage. I mean, there's some like dancing staircases where they're moving across them. There's There's an entire spell. There's a few spell battles that sound insane like a, a an adult draco an adult harry fighting with ridiculous spells that they're flying off and i mean it sounds like it'd be insane to see that being said i don't think that like the little community theater that tries to put on harry potter and the cursed child parts one and two over two nights or whatever they're trying to do yeah i think that's going to be super fun to try to see what would happen oh totally like i think it'll be like sweeted you know, remember when people sweeted <laughs> yeah. things for um, when uh, that movie Be Qu- Kind Rewind came out? Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, def- what a lovely movie. Go online and just search like sweeted Star Wars or something yeah. and see what they made. Like, I think that people will make some fun stuff. It's not going to be exactly like as magical as whatever as what the rolling team is putting on stage. Right. But it's going to be magical. The, the magic of theater and the suspension of disbelief. It's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. 
You you decided to read the spoiler version. Of I this. did. I and, uh, and so you decided not to read the play, but you decided to read the spoilers. Explain. I. To be totally honest, I was not yet um, completely convinced that I would or would not read the play. Uh, is there something? Wasn't it the Daily Beast the sort of? It was of- the Daily Beast, and as I read the plot synopsis, my stomach just dropped. What and what was it? What was the first one? Let's let's not list them all. The first thing that really got to me was the idea. The minute that time travel came into play. So you were worried to that they're bringing back time turners, even though the canon is that they were all destroyed. Yeah. And I, you know, it's that like, I don't uh, have a problem with the trope of like, they were all destroyed, but one survived sort of thing. Cause that's a, it's yeah, that's tried and true. But at the same time, it's tried and true. And it is such a trope of, uh, sci-fi fantasy but it is such a trope even more particularly of fan fiction and so many and I, I that this thought slipped into my head as and as things started coming out about the idea of going back and um, sliding doors style like looking at like what would have happened if and then doing it again and like well now what would have happened if I think I was really excited when I came across those, like when when seeing the world of what if Voldemort had won was thrilling. That's a great idea. I that, will say that. And like, I, I completely, yeah, like they had to, you know, bend some rules to get there. But when you're, when you're there and, and you're just, it's Voldemort day is coming up and it's just like, Oh my God, it, it's, it, and it seems like the most horrifying thing ever. So I, I was, I understand why people might, have a problem with the time travel thing. Um, but I think it afforded them some really fascinating opportunities for storytelling. Well, and there's something interesting. There's always going to be something compelling about alternate universe stories. Totally. I mean, and, and the idea of like what happened if Voldemort had won, we've seen this a lot with the most obvious real world analog of world war two, where whether it's something like man in the high castle, sure. Or even something like the plot against America, and it's it is relentlessly fascinating, and it probably always will be. Yeah, the thing for me is that it's the story's not actually about that. I feel like any of the like strangeness of the text much more came from the fact that it's a play, less than these aren't fully realized worlds, and and with with real narrative tension and plot that happens within them. You know, it's not like we just see Voldemort Day and it's like, oh, that's pretty interesting, right? right? And they point to it and they're like, crazy. And they come back. No, like Scorpius, um, who is uh, uh, Draco's son and one of the main characters, um, Scorpius sees this world and gets terrified of it and realizes like the what the how much he has to change things yeah and it's and it's a very important thing and he also actually he's kind of a loser in the real world and in voldemort land he's a god yeah and so like i think that the narrative stakes are all are very high and it never stopped feeling like a harry potter story to me The other thing I'll say about fan fiction or or the fan fictionalization of Harry Potter or whatever yeah. is 
I mean, I think back to the idea that um, like J.K. Rowling um, brought back Harry and s- sort of like yeah. she sort of said like I'm never going to write I'm him never, again. Yeah, I want to write other stuff. And then she brought him back and started writing him again. In that same way, Arthur Conan Doyle brings up Sherlock Holmes and he's like, I'm, I'm done with this dude. I want to write other stuff. Yeah. I want to head to the center of the earth or whatever. <laughs> Tired of it. Um, and then, of course, we all know after the final, uh, final problem, it was not the final problem. He had many other problems. And then after that, after Arthur Conan Doyle died and there's no coming back from that, um, yeah. other people took up the mantle and started writing their own stories. And we just we don't think of those as fan fiction or, or anything. We think of those as just, you know, I don't know, variants or, or, or continuations. And I think that like there's a little bit of me that's excited about the idea that that now that Harry Potter has been resurrected again, past, maybe that means a lot for the future. Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing, and I think this, I think this actually gets to the heart of my big problem with the play, mm. is that like when Conan Doyle brought Holmes back, the first thing that that came out of that was How to the Baskervilles, which was a prequel, mm. essentially. Like it hap- it was not post. Um, the the Reichenbach fall it happened it was one of those like which is now what everybody does when they write a Holmes story they're like well I'm John Watson and I uh, this story that I that I didn't want to publish previously and now here it is that would that was the first version of that mm-hmm. and I have plenty of problems with prequels in in their own way right but I enjoy them like mm-hmm. I I find them they're never as satisfying as the preview the current story okay but they're still they scratch an itch that's very lovely yeah. Nothing about this felt intentional in the sense of that that the the only thing about it that st- strikes me and that is something that I I genuinely am interested in and I wish there like somebody could just excise all the other stuff and give me just the the fucking one act of Harry and his son and the son who is chafing under the idea of a famous father and the famous father who's maybe not that great of a dad yeah he's not. That, that is a story worth telling, but the ancillary stuff that, that gets us there, the idea of that, like, maybe Voldemort also had a kid and... Yeah, you, you don't like that idea. No, fuck. Man, I hate that idea so much. But it's, I mean, it's rooted so deeply in the history thing. I mean, we're just talking about Man in the High Castle and, like, the ideas of, like, there's... There's that. There's also a huge contingent of people that always are curious, like, what, what did Hitler ever have a... a yeah. And, oh, totally. And there's always that question of, like, who did these people sire? Are they... And does Is evil passed on? And, I mean, ultimately, in, in Harry Potter, one of the main things of the drive and one of the main things that Voldemort uses to tempt Harry to the dark side is saying... I might be able, I'm going to be able to show your parents. I'm going to be able to help you meet your parents. Yeah. And so I thought it was very narratively satisfying for him to have to come up against someone who has literally the same wishes that he had the same wish, but it's against it's, it's, it's Voldemort. Right. It's and and the, the, the inherent difficulty of that, that was a very interesting scene. I guess to me, it feels more like, Oh, so it's another Death Star? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I get that. I get that. You know. You've been very indulgent in letting me talk about a bunch of things that I did not like about this playbook that I have not read seen. Mm. Uh, What are are things that you found really redemptive about it that you really liked? I mean, mean, it's just good to be back in Hogwarts. It's good to be back with Harry. It's good to be back and seeing like these characters. And, And I think that ultimately they did the writers many writers um captured the essence of the characters still Mm. so it really felt like i was seeing ron hermione and harry you know i really felt like i was seeing them as adults and the difficulties there you know ron has become like a goofy dad yeah which i loved and uh and you know i i could see in my head just how they would be together as adults very much and that was all based on what was written on the page which i think is kind of incredible and i also love deepening of the trolley witch mythology um, yeah which is important yeah to me and um really i thought that um i thought that they they the way that they made albus like try to pick up his dad's mantle of doing something bad during Hogwarts <laughs> and like, because he thinks it's going to save somebody. Yeah. I thought that that made a lot of sense. Um, I thought that that was done really, really well. And so I agree with you, you know, I actually do agree with you that they did a funny thing in trying to tell this story where the story obviously just got bigger and bigger and bigger every moment. Right. Um, because I don't think you write a two night play or however they run it. Um, unless you've, if it's all blown out of proportion. I haven't looked back, but I feel like when it was first announced, I don't know that it was two nights. Regardless, it yeah. is now. Yeah, I mean... It sounds awesome, but yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah. You know, there are... I think there's a story about Albus, and there's a story about 45-year-old Harry Potter that I would have liked to read, but... This I, isn't it. I don't think this is it, because I think it was it was meant to be told by someone else. Hmm. I mean, I loved it. I'm very excited to someday see the show. And uh, and maybe we will update this episode someday. Yeah. Episode 148. Yeah, exactly. Because, man, you think Hamilton's hard to get a ticket to. All right. Well, do we want to really quick get some recommendations? Yeah. Since if, you spent the entire time not recommending this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why? Well, let's let's hear from you. Let's. What do you want to recommend? Uh, I'll give you one novel and one novel that is not in novel format. Okay. The novel is uh, I finished just before we started recording. Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. Oh, I've heard of that. It it lives up to the hype. I I was not I was totally surprised at how emotionally impacted I was by the last like hundred pages of that book. Yeah. Um, the other one is uh, it's actually another book that I picked up in California, Multiple Choice. Oh, by, by Alejandro Zambra. Um, whoa, you guys! A as a child of of standardized testing. Love that you're doing this in multiple choice. Yeah. Uh, B. It affected me deeply because I was sitting there. I got out a pencil. And I started bubbling it in, in the back of the book. B, it challenged everything 
and like we've we've all read some pretty experimental stuff in the last couple of years like that form busting is no longer like a surprising thing sure this it is a novel but it it does not feel like any other novel you'll ever read because it also 100 percent is not a novel it's a standardized test that's so weird yeah it was super weird but i really loved it that sounds fun how about you uh i'm gonna recommend two things um I'm going to recommend Helen DeWitt's The Last Samurai. Um, There's a world in which we recorded an episode about that book, and maybe there's a world in the future where we do record that episode. But until then, read this book. Guess we got to get a time turner. It's so exciting. It's such a good book. It's, it's, um, I'm going to, if, if you liked Extremely Loud and Incredibly incredibly Close, and you think you might like Infinite Jest, but you haven't read it yet, uh, you should read this. Uh, I mean, it is it is an it really, astonishing novel, and it's the in between of those two. Um, it's about a search for a father, so you get it. Um, and the <laughs> other thing uh, is, uh, I fed my my Hamilton obsession with a great book, seventeen seventy six by David McCulloch. I said that I bought it. Oh yeah, and it's it was so good, and it really deepened my ad- admiration and interest in George Washington. Actually, George Washington seems like an incredible amazing person i mean very few people in history could be the first president you yeah know? and i mean the first any the first any guy. ruler of a, and this guy this guy man no other choice that's a guy yeah Ooh, that is a guy that's a guy and wh- i also love that he was obsessed with interior decoration as far as as far as like being a guy's guy you gotta have a hobby he he like multiple times it's like the night before a major battle and instead of doing anything that has to do with battle planning he's just like all right mount vernon (laughs) 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 i I want this wallpaper in the back room and he's just writing down notes about what he wants done to his house because it was being constructed during uh during this time well and listen to all of you out there who procrastinate by doing things like rearranging your bookshelves moving around your living room right you're in good company. Right. Washington was supposed to be invading the British. Instead, he was planning, he was playing The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Should we say goodbye? Is there anything more to say to people? Gross. Happy end of summer-ish. You're, so you're saying, no, we don't have anything else to say. We've got to save from the basilisk. We've got to save the school from the wendy state <laughs> yeah, yeah i like how you're just like yep <laughs> i thought you said windy and then i was like well that doesn't make any sense no the wendy state the wendy darling state i'm cutting all this out thank god uh i was out in california for two weeks oh yeah the windy state part of god damn it <laughs> uh. I'm okay. gonna do it again. I'm yeah, just, take it again. Just to see what happens. <laughs> take it again. <laughs> I'm like fucking Charlie Brown with the football. <laughs> yep. <laughs>